Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. For us, it was a great day. For him, it was a horrible day. And on the cross, he's actually teaching us, even through his pain and suffering, he is teaching us how we can make it through a really dark day, a really hard time, days when things aren't going the way we want them to go. That's what life is. There are some good days, there are some bad days. I think the older I get, that's one of the things I've come to learn and figure out as I've aged a little bit. I don't have a lot of wisdom, but some of the wisdom that God has given me is that I'm starting to see that that's what life is. There's an ebb and flow. There are good days and bad days, and they are both to be managed, and they are both to be navigated. Sometimes navigating your good days is as important, doing that well is as important as navigating your bad days. How do you handle success? How do you handle it when, some, when you come into a little extra money? How do you handle it when everything is up and to the right in your world? And how do you handle it when things aren't good? How do you handle it when the floor falls out? What do you do? We've been looking at the really bad day of Jesus and we're trying to navigate our own dark days. We've been using this passage out of Hebrews chapter 12 as our anchor verse. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race. And I'm really thankful that not only did he begin that race, but he finished that race. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. Now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. We can learn from him. We can watch what he did. We can listen to his words that he spoke from the cross to help us through our own dark time. The fifth statement that we're looking at today, hard to believe we're already in week five of this series. The fifth statement comes out of John chapter 19, verse 28. It says, later knowing that everything had now been finished. And so what we know is that we're coming into the final moments of the life of Christ. This is, this is, we're, 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 you know, it's toward the end. There are very few breaths left for Jesus. The moments are few. And what he says is, it says that so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And that's the statement this morning. <laughs> Three words, I am thirsty. You're like, Brett, what are you going to teach us out of this? Well, it tells us that Jesus went through the same kind of things we go through, not just from a physical standpoint, an earthly standpoint. He endured temptation. He knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to be betrayed. He knew what it was to have people walk away from him. He knew what it was to be talked about behind his back. He knew what it was to have people plot against him. He knew what it was for really bad things to happen in your life. I mean, a crucifixion, pretty bad. Pretty bad. But he also knows what it means from a spiritual perspective from a, a personality perspective from an emotional perspective he, he knows what it means to 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 be vulnerable to have a need and the reminder here is that there is no one who is so spiritual there is no one who is so self-sufficient who is strong enough to make it through a bad day without asking for help the lesson today is be human enough to acknowledge your need be human enough to acknowledge your need. If you're anything like me, it's just not human nature to admit that we are weak, is it? We're just not wired up like that. 
It's fairly difficult to admit to somebody else that we need help. If you go back into the Old Testament, you look particularly at the creation story and the life of, of Adam and Eve, and, and you know God creates them, and I don't know exactly what it looked like, but Scripture tells us that there was a communion between them. There was a, a connection. There was a, they, they were in fellowship in some way. And again, I don't exactly know how that transpired or what that looked like, but he would come down and he would spend time with them. He was in fellowship with them. And what you learn from that is that God desires close relationship with his creation. He wants that with you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And you know what happened. They messed it up. They sinned. And after that sin, God comes down. He wants to continue the fellowship with Adam and Eve. And there's something in the way that Adam responds that gives us a picture as to why it's so difficult for us even today, to admit that we need help. Adam and Eve have messed up. God shows up, and Adam responds. Uh, we're told this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. It says, he answered, God has spoken, and, in, and you know, like, why are you hiding? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And right there, you see the progression of what happens after sin takes place. Now, we've all done this. We all know what it feels like to sin and then to be confronted in some way, either by actions or by, you know, reactions or by someone or, uh, you know, by the fallout. Something happens that our sin starts to confront us and we feel exposed and we feel like we can't get close to God and we become afraid. And when we become afraid, we run in our fear. We try to remove ourselves, get away from God. We don't want to be close to God. And this is just the natural progression of what happens when we sin. We sin, we feel exposed, we become afraid, we run from God, not to God, and all of it is driven by fear. All of it. It's amazing what fear can make you do. You likely grew up afraid of something, and probably you're still afraid of whatever it is that you were afraid of when you were a kid. I mean, that's true for me. I don't know what you're afraid of. One of the things that scares me, and I'm, I'm a... Nobody's ever going to accuse me of being a, a, a good wrench man. You know, I'm, I, I can tinker on a car. I can't really fix a car. I'm more likely to mess it up than I am to fix it, but I can try. I got, the, I got some tools. Lord knows I got tools. I can do a little bit of stuff around the house. I've, I'm learning, even as I get older, to, to do some things in the house. And I'm, there's a couple of things I've done in the house. I'm like, hey, you actually did it. I didn't think I could. I thought we were going to go without a toilet for a week or two. I, you know, it was like, wow, that, it works. There's no water. It's wonderful. And so I'm not, nobody's ever going to accuse me of being Mr. Handyman or anything like that. But one of the things that I'm afraid of, always have been, is, is electricity. Electricity scares me. I won't, I won't, I, you know, I won't, I won't, I don't want to watch YouTube videos on it. I don't want to learn how to do electricity because I just, I'm scared of it. And if it becomes something electrical, um, you know, my guy was always Roland Beard. Shout out to Roland. Uh, he's, he's sick and not able to be with us these days. But man, you talk about a guy, he's forgotten more about electricity than the rest of us will ever know. This guy's brilliant when it comes. And I just would watch Roland <clears throat> just marvel. But that was something that I was afraid of. Now, you have to be careful because in our fears, it, it, if we get trapped in them, it isn't long before we start to become a pretend version of ourselves, and it, it shows up in the normal conversations that we have with people. And in the, the easiest of ways, I've caught myself <clears throat> this morning 
several times this morning saying what we always say. Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, man, how you doing? We, we say that all the time. Hey, man, how you doing? And the typical answer to the question, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Right? That's what, that's what you, because, you know, you say, well, I'd complain, but nobody wants to hear it. You're exactly right. <laughs> nobody wants to hear you complain. Anyway, so we kind of know that. It's amazing some of the, the, the things, the responses that you can hear when you ask someone. I've heard people trying to be funny about it, you know, hey, man, how you doing? And the funny responses you get back, one of them is, man, if I was any better, I'd be twins. Okay, we don't need two of you. Okay, one's plenty. Hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I can't complain. Nobody wants to hear it anyway. Yep. And then there's this one that I, I heard about. This has to be a southern saying. I don't, I've never heard anybody say this really in person, but I just imagine somebody in Georgia saying this. Okay? Somebody in the deep south. Hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in there like a hare in a biscuit. I mean, that's just wrong. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing better than a villain. I'm, how, how do I want to say that? I'm chilling like a villain on penicillin. So they're so good, they're rhyming, right? Like they, they're, they should join a rap group or something. Like they, they're so good that, that they're, you know, they're better than a thief on antibiotics. I mean, that's good, I guess. We, we just don't always come clean when somebody walks up to us and says, hey man, how you doing? And I think part of it comes down to we just kind of shy away from being transparent. We shy away from being real. We're not in a hurry to, to drop our guard and let everybody see it all, right? We don't want to, like, like Adam, we don't want to get caught naked. We're afraid of being exposed. But listen, on your bad days, in the middle of your darkest days, the best thing that you can do is what Jesus did. And say, hey, I kind of need some help here. Today I want to give you three things, three fears, three roadblocks that keep us from being real. Real is a core value at Cross Lane. You know, we, our core values are an acrostic Christ, compassion for lost people, humility. R stands for real. I stands for irresistible grace. S stands for simple. T stands for total acceptance. So we're focused in today on the real, on, on the R, real. Three roadblocks to being real. The first one of those is the fear of being hurt. If we're honest, we're all just a little bit damaged. We've all been hurt. We've all, if you've ever loved somebody, if you've ever been loved, you've been hurt. If you've ever been in a marriage, you've been hurt. If you've ever been involved in, in if you've ever dated, you've been hurt. If you've had kids, you've been hurt. We all were kids and we all got hurt by our parents a little bit. If you work with people, you've been hurt. If you're a boss, you've been hurt by your employees. If you're an employee, you've been hurt by your boss. It's just the nature of, 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 you know, we've been hurt. Do any of you have a family member or you ever gone to church with somebody that um, they're just good at hurting people? It's kind of like their spiritual gift, right? Like it's the thing, they, they, they view it as it's just, they're, they're like, they, say, they would say, well, I'm just a truth teller. No, you're a... You're a hammer and you think everybody else is a nail. That's what you are, right? I had a, a friend who has 
loosely call them a friend. I try to be friends with everybody. This person was a little tougher. And um, they kind of were like that. They were advanced in years, and they were pretty quick to let everybody know that they had wisdom that nobody else had. They wanted you to know how much they knew about Scripture, how much they knew about life, and they had it all figured out. They had God's wisdom cornered that market. And uh, this person has since gone on to be with Jesus, which is probably good for, for everybody, but um, I sh- I'm, I'm sorry. I hate when it does that. I'm sorry. Hush my mouth. God loves them, I know. And I'm sure they're up there telling God how to do it. But I, I you know, this back in the, in the late 80s when I was a youth pastor and um, I had gotten, I know it's hard for you to believe, but I had hair once upon a time. And I had cut my hair into a classic mullet. It was gorgeous. Business in the front, party in the back. And, I, you know, it looked good. I thought it looked good. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. If I did, I wouldn't have gotten it cut that way. And this person, they, they did not think it looked good. They walked up to me and said, you're a bad example for our kids. Man, they're hurt. Really? I mean, really? I mean, I work my tail off for these kids. I, I do everything I can for these kids. And you, really? Now, Some of you have been hurt way worse than that. You know, I'm trying to give you an example with not a lot of information. I'm trying to keep it light. Sometimes those things that hurt us, it's not just about somebody's haircut, which we get over. That's not that, not a big deal. Sometimes we get hurt when somebody says something about one of our kids, says something about our character, accuses us of something, assumes our motives when our that our motives are not pure when when our motives are completely pure i mean it's you know we've all had somebody hurt us and sometimes it's really easy to just kind of trapped in this place in that fear of being hurt and and this is one of those things that the devil will use to just keep you running from god he 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 wants to get you in all of your nakedness and all of your exposure he wants you to cower and hide and cover up and because we just pretending he wants us to wear a mask he wants us to hide behind this this mask and we say you know what hey i'm 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 good don't come any closer i don't want you to get to know me i don't want you to see i'm i'm naked i don't want you to see and some people just go around acting like everybody is gonna hurt them Psalm 32, I love the way this is worded in the message. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said, I'll come clean about my failures to God. Suddenly the pressure was gone. See, when you hold it in, because of fear, that's exactly what happens. You start to, this weight starts to accumulate on your shoulders, and it's not long that everybody around you can tell something's not right. You're holding something in. You're, you're trying to carry something, and, and the longer you're not real about it, it, it just becomes, it's that thing that everybody can see, and you think you're getting away with it, and everybody else is like, no, dude. You're not getting away with anything. You're a mess. 
And the psalmist said, when I finally came clean, the pressure was all gone. So fear of being hurt, that's number one. Roadblock number two, fear of, uh, to, to roadblock two to being real, the fear of being rejected. Rejection is tough. Nobody likes it. Now, there's a sting to being rejected. We've all got stories about being rejected. It's no fun. Rejection just kind of chips away at our heart and it makes, us, it makes it that much harder for us to open up and to trust other people and to kind of give parts of ourselves away and let people in. Rejection can make you stop believing in people. So here's what we got to do. We fight rejection by doing whatever it takes to be accepted. We can't do that. We can't fall into this trap of, I'll just do whatever it takes to get people to like me. Chances are pretty good that some of the biggest mistakes you've ever made in your life were made because you were trying to get somebody else to accept you. You were trying to get somebody else to like you. You thought it would impress them. You thought it would make you on the in crowd. It's really something that you'd like to think we outgrow this as adults. We don't. But it's really something we're prone to when we're kids, especially junior high, senior high kids. And, it, and it, they're, they're getting younger all the time. But it starts early. I got I, I got I got people that like me. Social media is a place where <clears throat> you you can kind of see this, and I'll, I'll kind of prove it to you. When was the last time you went out on Facebook and you posted, you know, your your spouse, you and your spouse's worst marital argument, right? Now, to be fair, there I've seen those on Facebook, haven't you? I've seen them have the fight on Facebook, and, I, and my jaw just drops open like I can't. I can't believe they're just willing to let the whole world see that. But, but you guys are of, you're here this morning, so you're of above average intelligence, okay? I, you, you're, this is a smart group. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. That's not something that you do. You know better than that. But we all want to be liked. We want to be befriended. We want to be accepted. Uh, let me throw out some social media statistics for you just real quick. 89% of those on social media admit that their social media likes give them happiness. Now that's not a surprise. That's why we do that, right? We put this out and we, we kind of watch to see who liked it. It's kind of fun. I, I, I understand that. That's, I think that's very human nature. That's, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't even really criticize that all that much. But here's, this is interesting. Of that 89%, 40% said that happiness will only stay if people continue to like and follow. And then there's this. 70% admitted to liking a picture or a post because they knew it would make the person who posted it feel good. So what that's saying is we didn't really like what you posted. We're just trying to make you feel good. Okay? Which I guess, that, you know, it could be worse too, right? Like, you know, you read that and you're like, well, that's, that's ridiculous. But I like him. So there you go. Right? A 25-year-old had this to say, I don't think it is a coincidence that my mental health has become more stable in the time that I've gotten a regular circle of followers who like a lot of my tweets. We crave acceptance. We crave it. And we're really afraid of being rejected. In John, we read this, John 14, verse 43 it's interesting that John says this about a particular group of people, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. 
Listen to me. That's a trap. That's a trap. It's not healthy to go through your life craving the acceptance of other people. That will take you places and have you doing things that are not healthy for you in your life. And if that's a problem for you, that's something you need to work on, pray about, hold up to God, that's something that needs to be dealt with, okay? When, if you're craving acceptance, you need to have some long conversations with God about, God, I just want to be accepted by you. And we're going to talk about that this morning. The psalmist David had this figured out. He writes in Psalm 139, the way he sees himself, and, the, and, and he saw himself the way God saw him, and he said it like this. He said, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. So David is basically saying, man, did God do a good thing when he made me? And, and you know, it's easy to read that and kind of get, the, the end of that is, your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. Now, it sounds kind of arrogant the way, you know, you could read that and think, well, David's just being arrogant. But I think what David's doing is he's doing what we've all done. Um, he's just kind of looking at his body and the way the body works. And, and it's really, when you think about not even just the human body, just the way God created and made things. Design. I mean, I don't know how much you know about the inner workings of the head of a woodpecker. But a woodpecker's head is made in such a way with a shock absorption system. You should just go out and study the, the way a woodpecker is able to peck away at a tree and not get a concussion. God made him specifically to be able to do that. No other animal can do it because he's specially equipped. If I could get a doctor to come up here and talk to you about the, the inner ear and, and the, the auditory sens sensory stuff in your ear and the way it's all connected to the brain and how even you hearing my voice right now, there's a frequency that goes out and it, it's, it waves over the inner hairs, the little tiny hairs in your ear and all that gets translated into sound and it hits your brain and you're able to comprehend and, and interpret what it is that I'm trying to say. It's fascinating. It's a, it's a miracle. It's amazing. The eyeball. I could get an eye doctor up here and talk about how the eye works and the lenses and, and, and the way it, it blocks out light and uses and, and how efficient it is and how it, it, it figures out colors. And, um, you know, I don't fully understand it, but something with the lenses, it, it inverts it and turns it back upside down. Just amazing to me. And now I can be looking over here, but at the same time I'm looking over here, I can kind of tell what's going on over here. The way we're made, you can cut yourself open and we heal. I think David's looking at his body and he, you know, maybe he cut himself one time and he, he, you know, a week later it's like almost completely healed over and he just starts thinking to himself, man, God, you are amazing. You made this. The heart, the way it pumps the blood. The kidneys, the way the kidneys cleanse the blood. I think what God, what, what, uh, David was trying to say is, the human body is an amazing thing. Thank you, God. I, you know, he says, I don't care what anybody else thinks because I know what God thinks about me. And listen, that is a fix to the fear. When you don't care what anybody else thinks about you because you know what God thinks about you, that will fix the fear of you being real. Hey, I don't need you to love me. God loves me. I don't need your acceptance. I've already been accepted by God. It makes the fear go away. Hey, here I am in all my nakedness. If you can't handle it, God can. The third roadblock to being real is the fear of being exposed. We've all got parts of us that we really don't want anybody else to know about. 
We have those conversations in our head. Man, if they knew, if they really knew, they wouldn't want to be around me. What would they think of me? And then the devil gets involved, and he comes alongside, and he starts whispering in our ear all the stuff he's got to say, and he says, you better believe that if they knew, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. You better believe that if they knew that about you, they would run in the other direction, and they'd probably tell everybody they knew. You better not let them find out. If they find this out, they're gone. And here's the danger in believing that lie. When we hear that, and we believe that, we start working harder at pretending than we do at getting better. And we start to spend all of our energy and all of our time and all of our resources hiding and putting on a mask, and all the while, we just die a little bit more inside because we know they don't really know the true us. And honestly, today... You, you may have walked in here and you're just hanging on by a thread. Because it's a lot of work to keep up that charade and you're tired. So let me just free you from all that today, okay? Let me just let you in on something that maybe you really need to hear this morning. We are all messed up. We are all a jacked up bunch of people in this room. There is not one of us that has this figured out. We have got all kinds of jacked up ideas, weird notions, crazy fantasies. Some of us are eaten up with greed. Some of us are eaten up with addiction. Some of us are eaten up with lust. Some of us can't tell the truth to save our life. Some of us can't, can't hear a story without going out and gossiping. Some of us are so narcissistic it's not funny. Some of us are eaten up with pride. Some of us are insecure. Some of us are competitive. Some of us are greedy. We can't get enough money. And if I didn't get your thing, you fill in the blank because you know what it is. There's not a one of us that walked in here that doesn't have one, something like that that we'd say, you know what, that's really, that's my thing. I don't want anybody to know it. There isn't a one of us that has got it all figured out and can fly completely straight. Funny story, I was on a golf course one time. I'm not a great golfer. If you've ever seen me, you know that. I can hit it a country mile. I just can't tell you where it's going. And I was on the 18th hole at the Elks Club in Seymour, Indiana. And on that particular course, which is not even in existence anymore, there was the, it was a par three, so it was kind of short, and there was a green, and right next to the green was a pond. And then you, you hold out and you went to the 19th hole, you went over this bridge, over the pond, it was kind of beautiful. But there were, there were some, some geese down down in the water, and they would kind of get up around on the green. Kind of dangerous for them to, you know, you'd think they'd figure it out, but they hadn't. And so I teed off and, you know, hit this shot. It goes up. It's beautiful. It's riding beautiful. I'm like, hey, that might actually go where I want it to go. And then on the way down, I'm like, no, that's not going where I wanted it to go. And it kind of came down, and it hit between the, the, the green and the, the pond, and it hit one of those geese. And he let out a, you know, and he, he instantly makes a beeline. He makes a beeline to the water, and he jumps in the water. And for about, I watched him. He was eventually okay. But for about five minutes, he just swam in a circle. That's all he could do was just kind of one, you know. That's all he could do. 
I'm just thinking about the the people that were with me. Oh, God, help me get through this. Oh, that's us. We're just, you know, we're just kind of, we can't, we're pitiful. We're just jacked up. We're messed up, you know, either our fault or some jerk hit us with a golf ball. But we, you know, we can't, we're messed up. Listen, the church is not a museum that you walk into and there's this perfect specimen of a Christian and you go, oh, that's what one looks like. No, the church is a hospital and you walk in and go, that one's sick, that one's sick, this one's really sick, but what you know is everybody in there is messed up and they're in there for a reason. Listen, they don't put you in the hospital unless it's kind of serious. Just humor me. Look at the person on your right. Just look at them. Now, I realize you're looking at the back of somebody's head. I get that right now. But now turn and look at the person on your left. They're jacked up. They're a mess. The devil wants you to believe that you're the only one. He wants you to believe you're the only person that can't get it right. He wants you to believe you're the only person that struggles, and that's just not the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Get a load of this verse. This comes out of the message, and I love the way this is worded. We refuse to wear masks and play these silly games. That's kind of contemporary, isn't it? Who knew? Paul knew back in the first century about COVID. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display so that those who want to can see. See what? See that I'm messed up? See that I need Jesus? 1 John, chapter seven, chapter, uh, 1 John 1, chapter, uh, verse 7, But we, talk, we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. So here's a question. How do we get there? What, what do we do? And the answer is we do what Jesus did. We be real. Asking for help doesn't mean you're weak. Asking for help means you're human. We're seeing the human side of Jesus in these moments. And the better you get at that, your life is going to get better. Authenticity sets people at ease. Authenticity makes people feel safe. Just a little window into my world I talk to a lot of people who are, have problems. People make appointments and they come and sit and talk to me. And, I, you know, it's not that I'm smart. I think sometimes the, the, the best thing that I offer someone is a willingness to just sit with them and let them talk. I'm not a, I'm not a trained psychologist. I don't know what I'm doing. I know, just, I know how to love people. I know how to let them talk. And once in a great while, I may have a profound insight that God gives me. But I hear this one thing more and more, that people will look at me and they'll say, Brett, I just feel like I can talk to you. I just, I just feel like no matter what I say, it's going to be all right. I, why can't I say this to other people? Why can't I say this to you and I can't say it to anybody else? It's because I, I try really hard to not cover up 
my weaknesses. My weaknesses are out there for everybody to see. If you know anything about me, you know I'm weak. I have lots of flaws. I, have lot, I don't try to cover it up. I don't try to act like I'm something I'm not. I'm just trying to be real. I'm just a guy that loves Jesus, and God said, you know what? This guy has almost no abilities, but we're going to let him do something. Thank you, God. I know, I don't, listen, and I don't say that so that you'll come up to me and say, oh no, that's not true, you're really gifted. No, I'm really not, I'm really not, and I know that. But here's what I am, I'm real. I'm real, I, I, I'll just, and I'll try my best to accept whatever you got coming. Because I know that makes people feel safe, and that's what we need. We need to, be, we need to feel safe, that's what authenticity does, we feel safe. Today, let me give you real quick. You're thinking, oh dear Lord, he's got four more points. We're going to do these real quick. Give you four decisions that you can make that will help you become more transparent. Okay, number one, establish a crew. You need a crew around you. You, you need some people around. You were not intended to do life alone. That's never more true than in the face of tragedy when you have crisis you got to have some people in your life. You need a shoulder to cry on. You need somebody, you need a, a, an ear to listen. You need support. Many of you have heard me talk about my friend Michael. He's one of, you know, he would be in my posse. There are people in my life, you know, many of you are that, that, that if I needed you, I would go to you. You know, I, Didi and I learned a long time ago, when we are going through something and we just, we need to get our people around us. We need our people. And it's, it's when you have that, you have stability. You, you have some bedrock under you. You find a sense that they remind you, hey, this is who you are. This is what you do. This is what God called you to. And that is why the Bible calls the church a building. Now, I know as I say that, some of you are having the same knee-jerk reaction that I had. Wait a minute, building? The church isn't a the the. the, the the church isn't the building. I, I know, I get it. I've, I've preached that sermon. I've taught you that. The church is not a building. When we all leave here and the last one that walks out shuts out the lights, God leaves with us, right? Like he doesn't hang around in empty spaces. God goes where we go. But I'm just telling you, if you were to look up Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and you were to read that in the New Living Translation, this is how it comes out. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together, key phrase there, in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now that phrase, joined together, let me explain what that is. If you were to look that up in Greek, what you get there is a word picture of a hinge. You get the picture of a hinge. We all know how a hinge works. It's, you know, it's slotted there's two parts there, and they come together, and they're, they're, they fit perfectly together, and then you drive that spike, that, that rod down in the middle, and it holds everything in place. And that door swings on those hinges, and it has stability, and it does what it's supposed to do. And, and, the whole, and it works, and it, we have, and it has stability, and the door opens and closes the way it's supposed to. That's why we push you so hard to be involved in a life group, because that's what you get in life group. You get hinged, you get locked in with other people, and you function the, really the way you were meant to function with a group of people around you to walk with you, to love you, to lift you up, to know that you're not perfect. You're not going to get it right all the time. In fact, you may be really, you may go through some stuff 
and really need your group, but, but they're there, and you have that. So you, you, you need to get a posse around you. You need to get a crew. Secondly, enact a growth plan. Start growing today. It is not God's will for you to stay where you are. He loves you. He meets you where you are, but he wants to take you someplace else. He wants to grow you. It is not God's will for you to just stay in the same place. You need to be maturing. You need to grow every single day. And here's what I can tell you. You're doing one of two things every day. You're either going backward or you're going forward. You're either growing or you're shrinking. Not only can you not do life alone, you can't grow alone. You're going to learn from a lot of different people. God wants to put all kinds of different people around you. Here's just a little free tidbit this morning for you. Just throw this out for you. The best way for you to grow in your life is to get around people who have the things that you want. What do I mean by that? If, you, if you're married and you see some couple with a great marriage and you think, that's the kind of marriage I want, I want a, I want a marriage that looks like that. You need to get around them. You need to spend some time with them. Talk to them. How do you do that? How, what makes you guys work like that? Probably what you're going to find out is you're going to hear some things that you don't want to hear because they're doing things that are hard, that make their marriage great. You see somebody that's a great prayer, and you're like, man, I wish I could pray like that. Well, then you need to spend some time with them. Maybe walk up to them and say, would you pray for me? I just want to hear you pray. I want to learn to do it the way you're doing it. Somebody that's good with their money. You know, they've got, they, they seem to, it seems like everything they touch, it just prospers, and they just, they, money's not a struggle for them, and you, you can't put two quarters together, right? And so you think, man, I need that. So get close to them and say, hey, would you teach me how you budget? Would you teach me what, what the important things I need to know about money? Scripture calls the church a body. We read this in Ephesians 4. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly there's that hinge idea again and then look what happens when we all come together as each part does its own special work it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love third decision you can make is this enlist an army again you need support you need some people on those days when you just need to cry there may be some days that you need some protection and you need some people to get around you and fight. You need some people that have got your back. I realize this can be a tough place for some people because you did this. You thought you had a group of people around you that you could trust. You, you depended on some people. You got close. You trusted and they let you down. They hurt you. And instead of protecting you, you got hurt even more, and now you don't feel like you can trust anybody. I'm just telling you, you cannot stay there. You've got to try again. You have to find some people, get some people around you that you can trust, people who will fight for you. You will never be better alone. You need some people around you that are going to help you, people who want to see you win, people who want to see you succeed. Scripture calls the church a flock. Luke 12, so don't be afraid, little flock. Here's the thing about sheep. The predator of a sheep, won't, he won't attack, a wolf won't attack the whole herd. What the wolf does is they get a couple, they work in a team a lot of times, 
and they want to get one isolated. If they can catch one little guy that wanders away from the flock, just a little, enough they can get a little separation, and they get that one isolated, they don't want to take on the whole herd. They just want to get this one. And God is, you know, he's telling us that we're a flock. He's, you've got to stay together. You can't wander off by yourself. You're vulnerable. You're prey. The predator will get you. If you get away from the flock, he says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Get an army around you. Don't do life alone. we're, We're not good at this sometimes. The last of these is probably the toughest. The fourth decision that you make, you should make, that would make you transparent. A lot of us, we're hard on ourselves. And when we mess up and we make mistakes, when we sin... Just call it what it is. We beat ourselves up. We don't like ourselves. But a decision that you have to make is you have to make the decision to be transparent, to love yourself, to embrace being loved. So that's number four, embrace being loved. We all need this. Some of you really need this. Like all of us, you've made a mistake. You blew it. And like all of us, you have some regret. You wish you could go back and change some things. It's like a movie. You wish you could go delete the scene. You wish you could could delete the semester. You wish you could delete that night. You wish you could delete that decision. I wish I had a do-over there. And you start having these conversations in your head and then the devil shows up and he starts piling on to reaffirm all this beating up of yourself that you've been doing and he comes along and he says, you're exactly right, they won't love you if you take the mask off. They're not going to want to be around you. Nobody can tolerate you if you take that mask off. They'll reject you, they'll shun you, they'll ridicule you, they'll leave you in the dust. You better leave that mask on, you better keep pretending. You better act like it's all okay. And so we just keep pretending because we're afraid of being hurt and we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being exposed. So we put on the mask and we just keep pretending. Listen to me. Cross Lane is a place for people who have blown it. Cross Lane is a place for people who are real. Cross Lane is a place for people who regret our yesterdays. It is a place where people can grow. It's a place where people can overcome. It's a place where people can get better. It's a place where we can make a difference in the lives of other people. Cross Lane is a place of hope and a place of healing, a place of acceptance, a place of the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the 107th. Try. Cross Lane is a place of grace. My mother loved me through a time when no one else would. I was done. I was done. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel like anybody could love me or would want to love me. Scripture calls the the church a family. And in my darkest hour, there were a bunch of people that were ready to just kick me to the curb. We're done with him. But not my mom. And not my family. Hey, church. We're family. And you can be real here. 
we, we, you know, physically through this COVID thing, we've asked you to mask up, but relationally, emotionally, spiritually, no. No. I want to read you something this morning. We're going to close. And I'm just telling you that for some of you, this is why you came to church this morning. I realize you, some of you, this is spring forward weekend, so congratulations. You, Siri got you up this morning, didn't she? Yeah, because without it, we were a mess. Um, but some of you, you need this so bad, and you don't even know that you need it. And, this is, and God has you here so you can hear this, okay? Just so you can hear this. I love this out of the Living Bible, Ephesians 2, verse 19. You are members of God's very own family. Citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Stop listening to the voice of the devil telling you that you don't belong. You belong. You are loved. There is a place for you. This is your family. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. You belong. We all need Jesus. Final thought. I can be me when I'm connected to those who believe in me. I can be me when I'm connected to those who believe in me. We believe in you this morning. More important than that, God believes in you. You know, we have a lot of conversation about what we believe about God. Somebody says, I believe in God. Somebody says, I don't believe in God. Somebody else says, I don't know what I believe about God. Well, what we believe about God's important. Yes, what we believe is important, but it's not nearly as important as what God believes about you. How about that? What does God believe about you? And here's what God believes about you. God believes in you. You are a son or a daughter of God. That's how he sees you. And God believes that you're worth dying for. The cross is proof that he is on your side. That's all the proof you need. God is crazy about you. If you have never given your life to Christ, I cannot lay it out any clearer for you. Everybody knows you're jacked up. Everybody knows you need to be forgiven. You just need to quit running from God and say, okay, I give. I, I, your, your love is relentless, and it has finally tracked me down, and I, God, I'm yours. I, please forgive me. Humble yourself enough to come to Christ and say, Lord, I need to be forgiven. I need you. For the rest of us, when it comes to our spirit and our emotional side, let's quit wearing these silly masks. And let's be real. Pray with me. Father, man, what is it that that makes us want to mask up like that? It's our fear. We don't want to be rejected. We've been rejected. It hurts. We don't like it. Father, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, I can run to you. And you have promised you will never leave or forsake me. And I can be me, and I can be real, and I can acknowledge my sin, and I can, I can just tell you how frustrated I am that I can't do better. I can, I can just be me. So, Father, I pray that every person in this room and in the sound of my voice this morning would be ministered to the fact, by the fact that you love them and you accept them right the way they are. No matter what they've done, your grace is bigger. No matter how fast they are, your grace is faster. 
Father, break us down. Help us to just finally relent and release ourselves into this magnificent thing called your amazing grace. We love you, Father. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus.